Hey everybody, welcome to the Fearlessly Authentic Podcast, episodes aimed at presenting truth in a fearlessly authentic way. I'm Jerry, and today we are continuing our study in the life of Joseph. Today's message is on the blessing of suffering, two things that don't normally go together, blessing and suffering. But we're going to look at Joseph's two years in the prison, two long years in prison. Let's get to the message right away as we see the blessing of suffering. Genesis chapter 41, Chuck Swindoll, who's a preacher, he said this, he said, pain, when properly handled, can shape a life for greatness. One day there was this lady who sang a solo. Her vocal technique was splendid. Her intonation was excellent and her range was significant. In fact, in the audience, sitting in the audience as she sang this particular song was the composer of the music that she was singing. When she had finished singing, someone leaned over to the composer and said, what did he think of her singing? And this is what he said. She'll be really great when something happens to break her heart. Pain, when properly handled, can shape a life for greatness. A.W. Tozer, famous preacher from yesteryear, said this. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And no life represents these truths more than our character that we've been studying for several weeks, Joseph. You remember Joseph, if you do, from the Old Testament. Here was Joseph, and he was the favorite son, number 11 son. He was the favorite son. Jacob loved him more than all of his other sons. And so he gave him this coat of many colors. He gave this awesome, cool, Aeropostel colored coat. And everybody else had to wear Walmart coats. I mean, that's the way it was in that house. He was wearing the long sleeve, cool looking coat of the leader who didn't do any work, and everybody else was wearing the short sleeve, you need to get down on your knees, you need to dig ditches type of coat. And so the brothers, 10, hated Joseph, number 11. You would probably hate your brother too. Right or wrong, they hated him. And one day they were out and they were watching the sheep and they were out in a place that dad was kind of worried about him. So unwisely, he sent Joseph all by himself to check on the brothers. Now, the brothers didn't hate Joseph just because of the coat. They also hated Joseph because he was a dreamer. And I don't mean like dreamer, like, oh, I just dreamed that I was um, walking on the moon. This is a guy who God was using to predict the future. There was no Bible back in that time, so God spoke directly to people. Once the Bible is completed, he stopped speaking directly to people. So anyway, he was, God gave Joseph a bunch of ideas, and, and he told his brothers, and, and the dreams that he said, he said to his brothers, hey, brothers, you know how dad loves me more? He didn't say that, but that's what they're thinking. One day, all of you are going to bow down to me. And they're like, we're going we're gonna, to, someone's going to bow. Then he had another dream, and he said, not only are you going to bow down, but mom and dad are going to bow down to me. And even dad got upset with him. So unwisely, Jacob is going to send Joseph to check on the ten brothers who hate him. The Bible says they hated him exceedingly. They couldn't even stand to hear him speak. And so when he goes there, they see him coming in his Aeropostel coat. And he's walking over to them. They, they devise a plan. They said, let's kill him. No one will know. Let's kill him. Reuben, the oldest, says, no, don't kill him. I'm going to have to give an account for this. I'm the oldest. Don't, don't kill him. And for some reason, Reuben took off. I don't know where he went. So they decided to grab him, take off his coat, and they threw him into an empty well and just left him there while they decided what they were going to do with him. Judah comes up with this plan. He sees some slave traders walking by, and he says, I'll tell you what, brothers. Let's sell him to the slave traders. We'll make some money on this. We'll rip up his coat. We'll dip it in in some goat's blood, and we'll go home and tell Dad, hey, we found his coat. We don't know what happened to him. See, they hated him so much, so they did that. They sold him. They went back home and told Jacob, your son's dead. Is this your son's coat? We found this. Jacob is devastated. Can't find any comfort. And the guys aren't trying to comfort because they're like, we got rid of the dreamer. So much for your favorite son, dad. So in the meantime, Joseph is taken all the way down from Israel down to Egypt. And he's sold to a man named Potiphar. 
and he's the slave of Potiphar, but God is with him. That's what the Bible says. God is with him through all of this time, and he gets elevated to the top servant in the household. In fact, Potiphar says, I don't know how much money I have. I don't know what's going on. All I know is I got bread to eat in front of me. Joseph is so awesome. My house has been blessed because of Joseph. I love Joseph. Well, Mrs. Potiphar loved, or should I say, lusted Joseph also. See, she had a thing for this slave kid, and so she said to him, I mean, she wasn't like subtle. She didn't kind of like leave a note. She didn't like, you know, leave the bathroom door open or anything. She just went up to him and said, hey, let's lie together. I mean, she was like, boom, let's go. And he was like, no. And that just made her want him more. And so she said, well, maybe just sit next to me and just, just kind of be with me. She just kind of changed the thing, but she'd know what she wanted. Well, one day she made sure everyone was out and Joseph was coming in. He came into the house. He says, man, where is everybody? And there was Mrs. Potiphar in all of her glory. And she says, come on, nobody's here, no one will know. And he says, I cannot do this thing, I can't do this wicked thing. He says, two reasons I can't do this. One, you are Potiphar's wife. Let me remind you who you are. You're not mine, you're his. Everything in this house has been given to me but you, I can't do that to my... And then he says, even greater, I can't do that to my God. And so he runs out as she screams. She grabs his coat, he runs out. She's so upset, she cries rape. She calls in the guards, the guards come in, and they arrest Joseph. Potiphar comes home that night, and he is absolutely furious but we're not sure if he was furious with joseph or he was furious with his wife who he knew to be this kind of woman before see that was kind of an okay thing the culture had made it okay for that kind of relationships to go on affairs to take place all the time so potiphar takes him in and as potiphar is by the way who's potiphar potiphar is the chief executioner for he's the chief captain of the guard he can kill anybody he wants he makes sure that that takes place but he doesn't he puts him in the king's prison that he's in charge of, innocent of a crime he didn't commit. And what happens? God is with him. And he rises very quickly to be the, the lead person in charge of the entire prison. One day, years later, one day, the chief butler of Pharaoh and the chief baker of Pharaoh do something to tick off Pharaoh. So Pharaoh sentenced them out of his sight and sentenced him to the king's prison to decide what to do with him. What they do, we don't know. They're in there, and Joseph comes over to them, and they've had a dream, and he comes over and he says, why are you guys so sad? See, Joseph should be the one who's so sad. He's in there innocently. These guys did something to, get, to be put into prison. We don't know what it is, but they did something to get put into prison. Joseph is looking to the needs of others, even in the midst of his suffering. He says, what's going on? They say, well, we had a dream. They tell him his dream, and the one guy says, hey, this is my dream. He says, well, in three days, you're going to be released and restored into your position. The other guy goes, I had a dream too. He says, oh yeah, tell me about it. He tells him his dream and Joseph being honest, not telling him just the positive things. He says, well, in three days, you're going to be released, but you're going to be hanged. Oh, and then he tells them, hey, when you're released and you go to Pharaoh, tell him about this Hebrew who was wrongly accused, who was sold as a slave and was wrongly accused. In three days, they're released. And Joseph is thinking, this is my deal. I'm going to get up. God's working this. He gave a dream. He gave me the interpretation. These guys were released when they said it. They're going up to Pharaoh. I'm going to be out of here real soon. My, finally, I'm going to be released and maybe go back home and see my dad. And that's not what happens. Our text today in chapter 41 says it came to pass at the end of two full years. Two full years. What is your response when suffering enters into your life? I want to talk to you about a message called the blessings of suffering. The blessings of suffering. How do we react when our suffering is prolonged and God seems silent and our conditions actually get worse? How do we respond? How often do we look for the blessings in sufferings? And how does, even one, how does one even do that? How do we look for blessings in sufferings? Joseph seemed to be able to turn 
his faith in God into a trust in his plan. And even when that plan seemed derailed, when he was accused of rape, when he was thrown in the dungeon, when he was sold as a slave, I think Joseph made a decision early in his life that no matter what took place, he was not going to allow the trial to change his relationship with God. The trial would not change his trust in God. And although he was not given a vision of the future, he chose to remain faithful in whatever state he currently was in. And so in today's passage, Joseph is going to begin to see a little light at the end of the tunnel. Scholars judge that when Joseph was sold into slavery, he was probably in his uh, late teens. Now, as he stands before Pharaoh, we're going to see he is 30 years old. That means that possibly 15 years has taken place from the time he was sold to the time he's standing before Pharaoh. 15 years of waiting for God to give an answer. 15 years of God not always answering the question of why, but always being with him. 30 years old. And all throughout this trial, Joseph lived our thought for today, which is this. I will trust when I cannot see. What am I challenging you to do today? I'm challenging you to trust God when you cannot see his plan. To trust him. That God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Our trust is only good as the confidence that we place our trust in. My trust is only good in the thing that I'm placing my confidence in. No confidence, no trust. No matter what you say with your words, if I have no confidence in something, I don't trust it. No confidence, no trust. You see, our, our trust is only good as the confidence we have in something. Two full years have passed since he interpreted the dreams. Two full years of the baker and the butler. Two long years he seems to be forgotten. And after all that happened, we might be thinking, why would something like this happen to Joseph? If God was with him, why isn't he doing anything? Do we ever think that? The answer is that God was still at work in his life. Now this is a long passage, but here's, here's my, my, my point. I have one point. There's always distress when we seem to be delayed. Don't you feel that? There's always distress when God doesn't do what we want him to do when we want him to do it. Or when it seems that he's delayed. There's such distress in our life. The two years in prison for Joseph was neither exciting nor eventful. Look what it says. And it came to pass at the end of two full years before Pharaoh called him. Or had a dream. Month after month after month, nothing more than waiting for God to free him. What could be going through his head? What's taking so long? You ever think about that about God? What's taking so long? Did the men forget me? Did God forget me here in prison? Is this where I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life? How am I supposed to be faithful to God and stay under the pressure of this trial? See, that's what it's like when you're in a period of waiting. That's what it's like. The questions come and you've got to answer those questions. You can't just go through life and not answer those questions. You can't just say, oh, well, I'll just wait. The questions are being pounded at you. And in that particular time, when, you, when you're in a period of waiting, this is what's going on. Nothing happening, and all you can do is wait, 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 and wait. Nobody likes to wait today, right? Nobody likes to wait. We want it faster, hotter, fresher. And we certainly hate to wait for God to do what we think he should do like that. Well, if he created the world in seven days, why can't he fix my problem? Why can't he do what I want him to do when I want him to do it? So we wait, 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 wait. Nothing is happening, but it only seems like nothing is happening. God is doing things apart from our environment that we don't even understand. He's also in the waiting time, strengthening you and establishing you. He's perfecting you and he's refining you. The Bible says that he's refining us into pure gold. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that there's another character who had to wait and go through suffering. There's another Bible character who had some questions for God during a waiting period. Job. 
Job had some terrible things happen to him. All ten of his kids were, were, were killed in one particular tragedy. His home was destroyed. He lost everything that he owned. He even lost his health. He didn't even have comforting friends. He had nothing. But Job chapter 23. Notice what Job says in the light of all of this. It, it's really reflective on, on ourselves. Verse number 3, he says this. Oh, that I might, that I, oh, that I knew where I might find him. He's talking about God now. Oh, that I might know where I might find him. That I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Oh, that I might know where I could find him. I could find out where he's hanging out. I could find out what coffee shop he's hanging out. I would pull up a chair and I would lay out my thoughts. Not in a rebellious act. Not in a way that says, God, you better tell me. But God, please help me to understand why I'm waiting. That's what he's saying. I, I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. I would be open to listening if he would just speak. Will he plead against me with his great power? No. But he would put strength in me, which means he would pay attention to me. It, literally what he's saying, would he slap me across the face if I asked him this question? No. He'd answer him. He's saying, God would answer me. I know my God. Do you see the, you see the pain and the, the struggle that he's having? Oh, that I might find where he is, that I might be able to pull up a chair and, and ask him my questions. I know he wouldn't be mad at me for asking these questions, so I'm not asking in a rebellious way. I'm not asking, God, you better tell me. I'm asking, God, please help me and understand. Tell me why. Would he slap me across the face? Would he plead against me? No. He would strengthen me. He would, he would give me those answers. He would pay attention to me. He says, there the righteous might dispute with him. So should I be delivered forever from my judge. Behold, I go forward, but... He is not there. He said, the, the righteous might come and say, well, this is why Job is doing it, but God wouldn't buy their thoughts. He says, I need to be delivered from the righteous who would say things about me that God wouldn't say. Behold, I go forward, though. I go forward in life, but he's not there. Backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. Do you see what he's saying? Is, is God not there? Is God not there? He's there. But Job is explaining a very human experience, right? Though he is there, I don't feel that he's there, right? Are we there? Are you there with me? Are you tracking with me? Am I reading your mail? Or, that's kind of old. Am I reading your email? Am I watching your Snapchat? Right? Where is God? I just don't feel him. That's what Job is saying, and we've all been there. Waiting for two long years for the butler to finally say to the Pharaoh, there is a man who can interpret dreams. And he's innocent. Release him. That's what he's waiting. Job is asking all of his why questions to be answered. And he's wondering out long, like we do, how much longer do I have to be under this pressure of this trial? How much longer? But despite all that Job has been through, even in these words here that seem like distress, but they're just expressing his human misunderstanding while knowing that God is still good, he still believes that God will listen to him and that he would pay attention to him. He just doesn't know where to find him. And he still wonders why. And it's at this point that he, tell, that he tells God, God, I just think that you're distant at this point. And that's where we usually stop. 
We're not maybe asking God to say, give me that, no, give me that answer. Tell me the why. Well, we might just say, God, help me understand. And he doesn't quite answer in our time. He doesn't quite give us the answer. We don't really understand. And we're still under the pressure of the trial. And it's hard. And it feels like nobody's there for us. Our friends aren't comforting for us. The preacher's words aren't saying. He's just telling us to trust God. And, and I don't know how to trust God. And, and I, just, I just don't know how I'm going to make it through one more day. And that's where Job is. And that's where we are. And that's where we stop. God, I just feel like you're distant and it's at that point when, when usually we walk out of our relationship with christ we walk out the back door of the church somebody did this or i did this or the treasure is too hard or i don't know if i can do this or i've got regret and we just walk out because we feel well, i don't know god's just distant and that describes most of us when we're under the pressure of a trial we're, we would be left without hope without any answers or to our questions our faith in God, God begins to subside, and we begin to turn to other counselors. So what other counselors? The bottle, medication, legal or illegal, sex. We turn to all these kind of things to try and find some kind of answer in another counselor because we just don't see that God is where we want him to be. And he's not answering the question. The question I most want is, if I have to stay under this, how long do I do it? And why am I even underneath this trial? Why am I suffering? So we turn to other counselors. And we further distance ourselves from God and further damage our lives. And if Job stopped in verse 9, man, depressing. But I want you to see what he says in verse 10. But. Can I stop right there? But. Without being funny. We all need a big butt in our life. We do. When you feel that God is distant, when you feel that God isn't answering your questions, when you feel that he's not answering the why and you're tempted to walk away and find hope, and I put that in quotes, hope in other counselors, you need this big butt. But he knoweth the way that I take. That's what Job says. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept, and I have not declined. Neither I have gone back from the commandment of his lips, because I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. What is Job saying that when we get to the point where we feel that God is distant and he's not answering our questions and the trial seems too strong and it just seems like I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing is happening and the temptation to turn to other counselors is real and I think I'm going to go bury myself in the bottle or I'm going to shoot up with that drug or I'm going to find, uh, uh, I'm going to find some solace in the arms of another person. When I'm tempted to do that, what does he say? When you don't hear him, trust his word. When you don't hear him in your life, go back to what it is and make this more than your necessary food. So that still doesn't seem too much comforting. Well, it was for Job. You see, the key phrase in this passage is, when he hath tried me. What is Job admitting at this point? He's saying here, God, I really want the answer. This pressure. Now remember, Job lost 10 of his children. How many children did he have? 10. Lost them all. Lost his house, lost his finances, lost all his servants, lost all his sheep, goat, cattle, lost it all. 
and then his health was taken away from him. He's sitting on the side of the road scraping scabs off of his body with a piece of broken pottery. All the while, his three best friends in his life come up to him, and what do they say? Job, what kind of sin you got in your life that God's treating you this way? <laughs> I'm gonna, if I could get up and dot your eye, I would. But my health is so bad, I can't. But when I get better, you're not going to talk. Now, you didn't even say that, but that's what we would say, right? No, this is Job. But he says, when he hath tried me, which is this, he, he understood this. He says, God, even though I want to be out from underneath this process, I know that you're in no hurry in the process of making gold. The process of discovering and processing and purifying and shaping gold is a lengthy and painstaking process. And this is what God is trying to do with us. He's trying to conform us into the image of his son. And sometimes, people, sometimes, beloved, he has to bring some suffering into our life to knock out of our life, which we won't do on our own. Because he knows that that staying in our life will destroy us in the end. And so he's like, I got to get this out. I got to get this out. I got to perform some surgery because you won't do the proper thing that needs to be done. The hardest thing to do in the Christian life is to wait, especially when we're going through suffering. Joseph is a great example for that. I'm glad you tuned in today. If you were encouraged by what you heard, post this link to our podcast on your social media. Thanks for listening today. Tune in next time for another episode of Fearlessly Authentic.